The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on this beautiful and fattening, yes, I'll say that because it's tamales and turkey and chicken and ham uh everything i'm not supposed to eat but i ate <laughs> so it's the season to be jolly uh at any rate i hope you're having a wonderful uh thanksgiving holiday i am i'm uh, i've been enjoying friends and family uh i even played a little bit of football yes at my age i played a little bit of football in a turkey bowl on thursday <laughs> So anyway, um, let's. Uh, we've got a great show for you today, my friends. Got lots of interesting information for you. Some of it is going to be angering um, because we tell you the truth. Uh, on the other hand, um, it, it is information that you're going to be able to use and utilize uh, at, in in the future for making your political decisions. Because, my friends, the f- the fight is not over yet. That's for sure. Um, officially. The uh, Republicans did take over the Congress, the House, should I say. And um, uh, because of that, there was a delegation of, uh, of congressional, of Republican congressmen that came down uh, to the border on uh, this past week, I believe on Tuesday, they were down here at, uh, or Monday, they were down here at the, at the border. And uh, they announced, my friends, that they're going to do uh, some serious, some serious, take some serious action against uh, Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. Uh, it is obvious that the man has not done his job, although he raised his hand to the, to um, swear that he would uh, he would uphold the Constitution. He has done everything but that, and uh, it looks like they are going to try to impeach him. Yes, I will say try because um, you never know what some Republicans will do. Uh, unfortunately, um, there uh, the uh, Democrats and the and the and the um, liberal media are already rallying to his uh, to Mayorkas's aid. The uh, Congresswoman from El Paso, Veronica Escobar, a Democrat, of course, she uh, went uh, on the offensive on Spanish language. Uh, saying or claiming, should I say, that um, Republicans don't have a plan for immigration. Well, you know, I think that the plan should be, first of all, to control illegal immigration and to control the border of uh, against the entry of illegal drugs and illegal aliens. How about that's, that's the first part of the plan? But no, you know, immediately what they want is a plan to allow more illegal aliens in and to uh, give them amnesty. That's what the plan is. That's what she's talking about. She's not talking about a plan to defend America or a plan to protect American citizens. This is what's very infuriating, my friends, is that they play these games, the news media plays along with them, and then we are the ones that suffer. Virtually none of these two million, at least, Two million illegal aliens that have entered the country claiming asylum, claiming family reunification, claiming whatever. None of them have ever put anything into the system, yet all of them are going to get something out of it. None of them have paid taxes because they just arrived, yet all of them are going to get benefits from our pockets. If that isn't infuriating itself, my friends, I don't know what is. I really don't. The other issue is very, very simple, my friends. <clears throat> what about the fentanyl crisis? Um, you're going to hear on the show, let me tell you who's going to be on and what they're going to be talking about. T- uh, Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies is going to be talking about a, uh, a roundabout way that the uh, Democrats are now going to be allowing more illegal immigration under the claim that they are being given a special parole. All this is, my friends, is a runaround of the immigration law. Uh, Jason Jones from Newsmax, he is going to report about the um, 
uh, fentanyl crisis that he witnessed firsthand up in uh, Philadelphia. You're going to want to hear this. Ms. Chori uh, Rogers from uh, Georgia is going to be talking about uh, the election in Georgia. And finally, my good friend Derek Maltz, who is a former DEA agent, is going to be talking about the criminals and the contraband that is coming into the United States. You're going to want to hear this, my friends. So, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, a guest. She's been on before, Miss Tori Rogers. She's from Dublin, Georgia. And uh, she is uh, owner of uh, Little Georgia uh, Female Firearm Training uh, in Dublin. And uh, I wanted to get her on because, uh, well, besides the fact that she has seen the border here in person, and uh, she is, uh, I I wanted to ask uh, her about uh, the election, the senatorial election, which has become so important to uh, gaining control of the government, uh, let's say, uh, if if, uh, Herschel Walker wins. And uh, also about um, why the interest in Georgia, which seems so far away, about illegal immigration. So, Tori, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, First of all, let me ask you about um, uh, the senatorial race in Georgia. How is that looking? What do you see as as a resident of Georgia? Well, um, Herschel Walker has gained a lot of ground on Raphael Warnock, and they're actually going for a runoff election December 6th. So um, I think that Herschel Walker may have a good chance of winning. I think the big thing is it's a trickle down from the top. Everybody's so sick of the economy and gas prices and grocery prices that even people that voted for Raphael Warnock are, are switching sides. A lot of people switched over to vote Republican. Now, a lot of folks have uh, have have wondered about what um, Georgia did to make sure that the election was as fair as possible, because there was a lot of criticism from the from the Democrats. I mean, uh, Biden called it uh, Jim Crow point two. Uh, what was so What was so bad about the things that um, that were enacted? Uh, regarding um, uh, el- uh, voting. They, you know, Abrams and Kemp just, you know, they had their election and she was mad that he was requiring voter ID. Um, there was word that she wanted undocumented people to be able to vote. And I don't know, they were just really mad that they were going to require an ID, which is such a simple thing. I mean, you have to have it to buy alcohol. You have to have it to do anything and she was saying that also like it was targeting impoverished communities or the black community because they wouldn't be able to um you know all of them wouldn't have access to go on election day um they she had an issue with you know the mail-in ballot system where i don't know it was just it was just like nitpicking and it was an issue because we were a battleground state during the election and we're like how is it that florida california everybody else gets their ballots counted and it's taken us a whole week to figure out what's going on. Um, so it all stemmed from that. And then she was mad about the voter ID requirement. She said it was targeting the, the black community. Um, but I mean, you know, the thing is, people remember their birthday every year and they show up. People show up for Friday night football. People show up for their grandparents' anniversary every year. Election year, I mean, elections on the same day every year. So there's no reason that you can't make an effort to show up on election day. Now, the the other issue that we've we've uh, been talking a lot about on our show, of course, is the issue of illegal immigration, and that issue seemed to have taken. Well, I know that Kemp, when he first ran, the governor when he first ran, ran on the idea uh, of anti illegal immigration. Um, <clears throat> there has been uh, a lot of discussion in Georgia about illegal immigration. Why is illegal immigration such a a, a a big issue in Georgia because it's not on the border and it seems so far away. Well, it's not a huge issue like in my town, but of course we have Atlanta and it's been known as a hub for human trafficking. Um, Kemp did start the GBI, like human task, human trafficking task force. And they've actually 
um, busted illegal immigrants that were working human trafficking. They were working together. Um, I know that there was some illegal immigrants that were being bused from Texas to D.C. They tried to drop them off in Georgia in a town of like 3,000 people and the sheriff brought a translator and all of the immigrants agreed that they didn't want to stay. Um, and it really hasn't been like on our doorstep, um, but we have had an issue with and uh, drug cartels in Atlanta. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't see Kemp really move on any of that until this year because it's election year. And then he goes down to the border and does a photo op with all the Republicans and, you know, at the Rio Grande or whatever. But prior to this, I haven't heard much about it at all. And I think the biggest issue, besides the trafficking and drugs in Atlanta, with the smaller communities, is the economy is so bad that there's going to be a lot of misplaced immigrants, illegal immigrants. And then from there, it's, it's small crimes like theft and robbery and things like that are going to take place. It's going to start trickling down into the smaller communities. Yeah, and speaking of crime, we have seen, uh, we have read about... Um, the the crime, for example, in Atlanta, uh, that uh, I, I guess you have the same problem as as other communities where number one they want to defund the police, but then secondly you've got George Soros uh, district attorneys that don't prosecute uh, that don't prosecute uh-huh. criminals. Uh, is Tell that something about- that you say that you see? Yes, we um, have a county, Bibb County, in Macon, Georgia. That's I've talked a lot about that. Um, the DA. I believe is a Soros DA. She, um, one of our first female homicides and homicides in general, January, that her family had to have a closed casket at her funeral. Um, so because she used the DA used the election year to say that she didn't have enough evidence to take it before a grand jury within 90 days. So she ended up releasing nine violent offenders on bond. And her excuse was that they wouldn't be able to afford the bond. Um, one of the guys actually killed a Bibb County deputy that she gave bond to. Another girl shot her pregnant stepmom and killed her. And then Brenda Settles, he completely got off scot-free. There was enough evidence. The sheriff said that, you know, that he had enough evidence to convict him. She let him out, and the only charge that he faces now is um, a felon in possession of a firearm. So she let nine uh, nine violent offenders have bond, and... Um, she used COVID as an excuse that she wasn't able to take it. You know, they should have extended that. If they extended all the court dates, they should have extended the days the days needed to uh, bring evidence before her. And that was her reasoning. So it's, these Democratic-ran cities, I, there are a lot of criminals getting a smack on the hand. So, uh, but, but they also have that same uh, problem that uh, we're seeing in other cities, where the police are disrespected or uh, or completely oh, yeah. shackled, or uh, that they are uh, that they are uh, their attempts are, are being made to defund them, uh, yes. either directly or in a roundabout way, correct? Well, yeah, they're underfunded and undermanned, and I talk about this a lot in my classes. So they're underfunded and undermanned, and so Fifth County, the one I just used as an example, they have one hundred fifty thousand residents and maybe eight deputies on patrol at night. They don't have a city police force anymore. They're having to allocate their calls. So if this woman that lives alone has someone coming in her window um, and there's a homicide call, they're going to the homicide call first. There just isn't enough police presence. There's not enough people working. I mean, they're they're underfunded and people are quitting and the suicide for police officers is at an all-time high. Wow, you know, that, that sounds all, all too familiar. Mm. Yeah, huge response. I mean, it's like 35 to 40 minute response time right now. If they even show up in yeah. Chatham County, Georgia, which is Savannah, which is the highest county county for human trafficking. A lady, um, her husband called 911 because someone had hacked her number and told her that they had a gun to her mother's head, that they needed money. He called 911 and it rang for nine minutes and they never even answered. So we have a problem now where 911 might not even answer the call. Wow. And, 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 you know, and, and at the same time, these folks continue. I mean, uh, I heard Abrams continue to, to campaign on, on an issue um, that uh, on an anti-police issues. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like they learn, do they? No, they don't. They, they just pandering for votes. Um, wokeism. Got to gotta feed into whatever they think that their side has, you know, the interest is in. 
it's just got more worse. Since 2020, the protests, the riots, the pandemic, the election, it's just been a big trickle-down effect, and it's the worst it could be. Wow. Um, he'll say anything for a vote, to be honest. I mean, she was trying to give illegal immigrants the HOPE scholarship and free college tuition, which, you know, Kemp's been elected. That's not going to happen. But some of her ideals are, like, way out there. It's amazing. Let me ask you this last question. Um, how did you, I mean, from your perspective there in your community in Georgia, uh, what what did you think of the uh, of the elections, of the midterm elections? I think it went smooth this time. I think uh, there was a watchful eye. And, um, you know, I, Kemp is like over, even though he's our governor, he's over the elections. I believe he's like Secretary of State for the elections. Does that make sense? Uh-huh, yes. Uh, apparently they tried to, um, They. I think there was a lot more oversee, oversight, mm-hmm. and uh, it seemed to go really smooth. We didn't have any issues with our ballots not being counted in time or anything like that. I think they were probably scared to push the bar again, to be honest. Uh, I, I would imagine that they probably did try in some places. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I think there were a lot more watching this time and it was such a hot topic that i mean i don't think anybody would be willing to risk their prison time for that to be honest now before i let you go i've got to ask about your puppy the one that you found at the border here in here in here in texas yes how is he yeah (laughs) he's so awesome he you know we rescued him from matt finn um, who is uh, anchor for Fox News. And we've actually kept in touch with one of the producers, and I send her pictures and video from time to time, but he made Good Day LA Furry Friday. Um, <laughs> he's got quite a thing around here, and he um, he's really attached to me and John. He's happy, happy. And he, won't, he speaks Spanish, so <laughs> we were trying to get him to go out when it was cold, and he did not budge. He was walking backward, and John goes, Aki, and he came. <laughs> so, now and, and you found him you 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 got him there at uh by the river didn't you i mean that's where they found him yes and he's such a sweet dog and he's so good with our five-year-old i really feel like he was probably misplaced he probably came across with the family and they didn't have the paperwork so they had to leave him because you can tell that he came that he had somebody that loved him oh, he's real lovely that's cute well tori thank you very very much for taking time to be with us today um, I, I wish you a very happy and safe Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, I will be in touch with you as the the uh, Georgia election heats up and comes to some conclusion. Sounds great. Thank you. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. All right. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, from Washington, D.C., excuse me, still at the fair conference. And uh, I've got a special guest here, Mr. Derek Maltz, who uh, is a former uh, DEA agent. And I wanted to uh, to chat with him regarding the, the issue of border security and the cartels and uh, everything that's going on with regards to uh, the uh, tons of meth and drugs that are coming across. Uh, Derek, welcome to the show. Tell us, what, uh, what do you see as far as that goes uh, in, in the the border security issue? Well, first of all, I love San Antonio, so thank you for asking me to speak to you. And uh, I was just down at the Riverwalk not too long ago, and you guys have a beautiful city. But So basically, you have a situation where we have a national health and national security emergency at the border, despite what the politicians are saying, because we have really, really violent, nasty, ruthless people that are coming into the country illegally, and they're coming into our cities all around the country, and they're establishing themselves working with the cartels, not just with drug trafficking, but with human smuggling, with alien, with uh, counterfeiting, with all kinds of frauds, all kinds of gun trafficking, whatever they have to do to make money for the cartels, this multi-billion dollar enterprise. The problem is, is a lot of times the monies uh, that they're generating are helping terrorist organizations like Hezbollah or other radical organizations that want to destroy our country. So we have this unbelievable convergence of crime as our Beltway people is still pontificating and listening to themselves talk and not making decisions, and it's getting worse. More importantly, George, 32,000 Americans died 
in 2018 from fentanyl. The fentanyl that's coming into this country today is like a weapon of mass destruction in the sense of it's made in China in a lot of, in a lot of cases, and one kilogram of fentanyl can kill 500,000 Americans. It only takes two milligrams to kill. And the problem is, is the cartels can buy this fentanyl in China for $5,000 and make $2 million from one kilogram. So we have a very disturbing uh, alliance between Chinese organized crime and the Mexican cartels. Now, as you know very well, it's not just the fentanyl issue. Methamphetamine is probably the biggest problem in the country, and it's all over America, like levels we've never seen. To give you an example, right, people are just focused in on fentanyl and opioids now because that's what they hear in the news. But most Americans are impacted by meth. And why is that? Because the cartel, specifically Chapo Guzman, Sinaloa cartel, back in, you know, several years ago when the U.S. government was doing a good job of keeping precursors out of the, precursors to make meth out of our country, they were going to China and getting boatloads and massive multi-ton amounts from China and other Asian countries and making the meth in Mexico. And now the meth that they're making is not just a couple of pounds. I had buddies, law enforcement buddies down in Mexico not too long ago, and they went and saw a lab that was actually producing seven tons of meth in three days. I have buddies in Mexico that send me footage of some of these meth labs. They're not like mom and pop labs that you see in Kansas City in the old days. These are industrial labs that are producing tons of this poison that is destroying not just people, but families and communities. So it's not just that. And by the way, what people are not paying attention to is the fact that the cocaine now that's being produced in South America is not just coming into America, but it's flooding streets of communities all over the world. And why is that? because they can make a lot more money selling stuff in New Zealand or Australia or in Europe. Like, I'll give you an example. In New Zealand, one gram of cocaine could go for $375. That's $375,000 a kilogram, right? If you sell that same kilogram in America, it's like 25, 20, whatever it is today, 30,000. That's much more profit to sell the drugs over in that market, just like Australia. But here's the thing. People say, well, what's the big deal? Well, what's the big deal is Lebanese Hezbollah is involved with a lot of the money laundering. We had the case that uh, was very well publicized in the news, Project Cassandra, where the main guy that we indicted was moving the proceeds for the Los Zetas cartel, 85,000 kilograms of the proceeds. And this guy was indicted for moving $200 million a month back to Lebanon to help support Hezbollah. So yeah, so we have a very, very serious issue, and so we need the synchronization of effort. We need all the best and brightest to come together and do the right thing for the American public and stop worrying about themselves or their egos or any one agency, because it's really about America. It's not about any agency or any individual anymore, right? So that's where we have to get to. We have to get the leaders that come in and establish that from the start, that I don't really care what you did or what he did or she did. It's about what we we all did to stop this, uh, this, this chaos in our country. I have heard uh, from some folks that one of the things that needs to happen is that the cartels should be declared uh, terrorist organizations. What do you think? Well, I was one of the biggest advocates of that, and I just testified in Ohio not too long ago about this issue with Sarah Carter from Fox News. And what happened was the House uh, people in uh, the committee out in Ohio voted 95 to 1 in favor of the resolution to get the federal government to wake up and to support the designation. So I think a lot of people are misunderstanding what that means. What it really means is that if you designate the cart certain cartels like Sinaloa and, uh, you know, like the Jalisco cartel and El Mencho's guys, you will then put the focus of the best and brightest and the authorities and the laws and the capabilities of the intel community, law enforcement, DOD, and all our partners to go after this threat like they've never gone after them. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a synergy of the best and brightest with the most powerful authorities to go after these violent, nasty terrorists that are destroying our country. And this, we're not, gonna, we're not talking about bombing, you know, Mexico, right? They're important partners. We love Mexican, uh, uh, you know, people that come here legally. And, but we're not, what we need to do is attack the production of these poisonous chemicals and the money flow back to the cartels because we have to take away their money. Didn't, wasn't that kind of, the, was, what was, the, was that the approach that they used in Colombia uh, to go after those cartels? Great question, George. You obviously know your topic. So yeah, I mean, look, it, it, back in the day when the FARC 
and the AUC in Colombia were basically just these organizations with a certain ideology. When people suggested they were terrorist organizations or drug trafficking, no one wanted to hear it. And then eventually they did declare the FARC and the AUC terrorists, and there started to be a much more uh, focused, uh, you know, operational game plan against them. We started making significant progress. We indicted all of them. We took them out. And yeah, I mean, look, they're still doing things. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we didn't solve everything, but it's a very important thing. If you if you designate an organization as a terrorist group, you're going to put the best and brightest and the authorities to go after it. So yes, you're exactly right. And we're long overdue. I mean, we're we're constantly playing catch up on all these issues. It's like now in the opioid crisis, we're now shutting down Big Pharma. It's 20 years too late. Big Pharma, yeah, they were wrong and they're still wrong, and I don't have a problem going after them. But right now, the cartels are killing and alarming rates, and we need to focus on them. Derek, thank you very, very much for uh, for joining us. Uh, anything you'd like to say in the closing part for to our audience? Yeah, I mean, as a New Yorker, I'd like to get one of those cowboy hats from, from George in San Antonio. We'll get you one. Derek. You look good, man. <laughs> thank you very much. Take care, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got our very good buddy, uh, Mr. Jason Jones, who's with uh, Newsmax. And previously with that, he was um, previously he was with the Texas Department of Public Safety. Uh, and uh, he just returned, my friends, from a very, very revealing trip to Philadelphia. Uh, and... Um, he what he saw the impact of the fentanyl uh, crisis is very very disturbing, my friends. We've got in these in these big urban communities like Philadelphia, like Washington, like Baltimore, even here in San Antonio and in New and in Austin, we've got um, problems with fentanyl crime and then we've got uh, district attorneys that are not doing their job. So um, welcome to the show, Jason. Tell the folks what you saw. Buddy, as always, it's good to be with you, and I appreciate you having me on. You know, one of the things that, that I've been trying to do is to get away from the border for some time and really show the impact in some of the inner cities across the country. And I had heard that Kensington, Philadelphia, it's a neighborhood in Philadelphia that's about 50 blocks by another 50 blocks, uh, was really ground zero for the largest open fentanyl market on the East Coast. And so I went up there and I was there all last week as Newsmax's uh, correspondent. And what I saw, and look, I, I'm, a, I'm a retired uh, narcotics agent. I was a captain in Texas DPS. I've been in a lot of heroin dens in my day. But what I saw from the fentanyl crisis in Kensington, Philadelphia, was human tragedy on a mass scale like I've never witnessed. And I truly mean that. And to the folks listening right now, take a minute tonight, go on YouTube and type in Streets of Kensington to understand what I'm talking about. I saw a lot of young girls on the streets, 40-degree weather, um, that are just completely malnutrition from injecting. And what they do out there is they inject fentanyl into their veins. They don't take it via the N30 pill that most Americans in the South down here are used to. It's, it's powder fentanyl. So what's happening is the Sinaloa cartel is responsible. I was with law enforcement at the federal and local levels and they drove us around, showed us what was happening, took us by pill mill sites, took us by these different locations. And the Sinaloa cartel um, began pushing in fentanyl around 2016. And it has completely devastated Kensington. And most people I know are probably listening right now saying, oh, Jason, it's, it's been like that for a long time. I want to be very clear. A heroin epidemic that we dealt with in the 90s and 2000s is not the fentanyl crisis of today. It is on a whole different scale. And so what's happening is when the Sinaloans bring in the fentanyl, it then goes to Dominican gangs who basically act as middlemen. They then break the powder down into uh, 0.03 gram 
baggies of one inch by one inch baggies. Then from there, it is distributed to street dealers, not gangs, but street dealers who manage corners. And that is then sold in these $10 bags to the addicts uh, in this area. And that is the process of how it works. And I said, well, is there any other cartels or groups responsible? And the answer is no. Between New Jersey, and and I went to Camden, New Jersey as well, and Kensington, Philadelphia, it is all similar cartel dope. Wow. You know, we've been talking on our show about the second phase of the illegal immigration uh, impact and uh, the border crisis. And we've talked about the impact of illegal aliens in uh, our communities. However, it, it is so curious to me that the Biden administration doesn't say anything about the fentanyl crisis in uh, communities like Philadelphia. Listen, and and George, I want to tell you something on this that I was absolutely stunned by. Not only am I seeing trash and debris sitting in the roads everywhere, needles everywhere, and people living on the streets, I was told that I'm the first border or national correspondent to even go there and report it. Even the media out of New York, Philly, and all these areas, they're not coming in and showing the American people what's happening. And you know you, you know me, I'm always on your program, and I'm always saying that the people on the southwest border are the forgotten Americans. Well, I've been wrong. They're not the only ones. The Democrats and Republicans on all sides have not illuminated what is taking place. This is so much bigger than politics at this point. I mean, when the media themselves are not doing what needs to be done, since I got back, I've just been on a, on a campaign all weekend long, nonstop, trying to get any media to go in and at least cover because what these people are going through due to this fentanyl crisis truly stunned me. And I, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. You know me, I'm on your program all the time, but I'm telling you, I have never seen what I witnessed happening to our own citizens on a mass scale. And then, and the thing that bothered me the most about it is I know how these smugglers and these, these drug dealers treat women on the streets. And there were so many young, young girls out there. It was really stunning. Now, is there any, anyone that is attempting to make the connection between the border crisis, the Sinaloa cartel, and uh, this problem of of drug addiction on the streets of Philadelphia? If there is, I don't know who they are. Um, I can tell you that law enforcement was so excited at local and federal levels that I was coming out that some of them, and these are incredible, incredible people, by the way, um, their own agencies would not allow them uh, to have me. These guys took off on their own time in their own vehicles to show me around, to be able to capture it on video and explain how everything works and then share with me the videos you've seen. Um, please post those so the folks that, that, that watch can understand what I'm talking about. We would not have been able to get this access and do what we did if it were not for these incredible law enforcement officers. Just absolutely so frustrated because, you know, as we, we blame left, right, up, or down, I got to tell you, the failures from the media, the failures from communities or across the board, I can't understand, George, how we can have so many Americans living on the streets, but yet illegal aliens and people who come into this country illegally are living in these beautiful tents. They have air conditioning, they have heating, they have showers, they have, you know, towels, they have games, they have TV. And yet we, our citizens are living on the streets directly linked to this unsecure border, directly linked to the cartel's fentanyl. And we can't compare fentanyl to the heroin issue. It is absolutely night and day. So if you're thinking this is, oh, that's just the same old thing, I want to be very clear here. The overdose deaths validate that we are in a whole new realm. What I am seeing on the ground in the Northeast, we are on a totally different realm, and we've got to look at it through that lens and, and get away from the politics because buddy uh, this is not going to get better until we take drastic measures to fix it and again if you had a magic wand what drastic measures would you take for kensington or in the totality of it all well i think in the totality let's start in that yeah first and foremost i would lock that border down second designate these cartels as foreign terrorist organizations and absolutely 
hit every lab of the Sinaloa and of CG&G immediately. Now, that's the short run. Yeah. In the long run, create coalitions all over the world, wherever they operate. Uh, these are networks. We can't look at them as drug traffickers the way we used to. These dark networks are operating all over the world. So you've got to build a network, a unity, and a focused, basically full-spectrum approach to go after them and attack them as a dark network, meaning that you go after key nodes because each one operates differently. Some are very hierarchical in nature. Some are completely mesh networks. And you go after their key nodes and you take them down based on that. But most of it will have to do with going after their lawyers and accountants. And then beyond that, I don't want to get into tactics. But policy-wise, that's the short game. The long game, we then are going to have so much work to do in our inner cities based on what I've seen here. And I was so impacted by this that I'm now going to hit cities all over this country because we've got to make the linkages to the American people who don't realize how this open border and how these cartels are responsible for these deaths. And these people who, by the way, are not deceased, but who are absolutely being burned up by this dope. Well, I would imagine the crime is also sky high, too. It is on every front from prostitution. You know, you're driving down the road, George, and these these young women are knocking on your window to see if they can perform, you know, uh, commercial sex for $10 bags. I turned $10 because a $10 bag will get them 0. 0.03 grams of fentanyl to shoot into their net. Wow. <coughs> it's It's stunning. It's truly stunning. That's very, very disturbing. My friend, as usual, thank you for enlightening us. And uh, tell the folks where they can follow you. Absolutely. You can follow me on Newsmax. I'm on every day. And not only that, you can go to our, uh, our different social media sites at jasonjones.com. I'm posting a lot of videos so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And one last thing I just want to say is uh, we have got to change our mindset that this is the, what we know because we are an entirely new realm. George, as always, thank you for having me, buddy. Thank you very, very much. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Jason Jones with Newsmax and formerly a, uh, a uh, captain, I believe you were, with the uh, Department of Public with the Texas Department of Public Safety? I sure was. Intel and Counterterrorism Division. Yeah. So thank you very much, Jason. Folks, once again, George Rodriguez and Conservador. Talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from South Texas in San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, his latest report, my friends, is quite disturbing. Uh, Todd mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, the last time he was on sh on our show. But now he's uh, amplified on it. And I want him to explain to us how the Biden administration is now literally uh, okaying people, letting them uh, in, in very, very loose terms become legal immigrants, while at the same time the border is just wide open and people are just walking in. Todd, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Explain to us your latest article and what you have found. Well, I just returned from... Tijuana and Mexicali, which are, of course, cities across from California, that part of the border, uh, where I was able to gain unfettered <clears throat> access to a new secretive, widespread Biden administration program where they are pre-approving intending border crossers for legal crossing and Mexican escorts right over the bridges, right across ports of entry, handing them off to the Americans who then just let them go into the country on something called humanitarian parole. And it appears that this is happening uh, all day, every day, seven days a week, all week, all month, thousands and thousands of times from the Pacific Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico and throughout Mexico inside Mexico on airplanes where they're flying them directly into the U.S. 
and, and paroling them in under this humanitarian type parole. And what this essentially does is it, it hides a brand new avenue to move thousands and thousands of people foreign nationals into the country under this very questionable legal authority that uh, many experts say doesn't exist. It's far outside the the authority of the U.S. government to do this, which might explain why they're doing it secretively. Yes. It's hard, it's hard to know how widespread this is, but I interviewed uh, shelter managers in both of these cities and uh, three different managers in both of these cities, including a government official in Mexicali who knows a little bit more about the program, uh, who is, who's told me that it's happening in uh, Tijuana, Agua Prieta, uh, Mexicali, of course, in a huge way in El Paso, Juarez, which might explain the massive traffic in that area. Uh, also, in... Uh, most of the border cities from El Paso all the way down to Brownsville. This thing has been very quietly expanded. So uh, it's, it's, it's happening on a, on a significant scale, and it's expanding very quickly. Now, again, explain what they are providing. I mean, the kind of, of, uh, of uh, permission they are granting people uh, sure. Across the border, because I mean, in, in a very large, in a very, very big stretch of the imagination, uh, or at least to the imagination of the, uh, uh, to the thinking of the Biden administration, now these people cannot be called illegal aliens. But explain how or who these people are that they are being uh, given permission. Sure. Well, first of all, this is under a, a, an authority that's that is provided in the. Immigration and Naturalization Act called Humanitarian Parole. But when you read the law, it says, it's very clear cut. I mean, there's no room for interpretation that this is to be used on a very case-by-case basis. So picture, you know, a wounded police officer from Mexico who manages to crawl bloodily up the riverbank on our side begging for protection with the cartel guys on the other side, uh, that would be a humanitarian, a one-off humanitarian parole or somebody who's severely injured or something like that. But uh, the administration has decided that it can use this in a widespread way for thousands upon thousands of people all at once, uh, which is, you know, under no circumstance anywhere does it say you can do that. Uh, there's litigation about that, but it's unresolved, and so they're using it. The people that are applying for this in increasing numbers on the Mexican side are every nationality, but a lot of regular Mexicans are applying for this who are normally pushed back under Remain in Mexico or Title 42 uh, and, and almost never apply for or never qualify for asylum or humanitarian parole are now probably in the majority of people that are being allowed in under this this new program but I also saw Nicaraguans and Central Americans I've heard that a lot of Venezuelans are being paroled in this way in Cancun at the airport and uh, I'm hearing uh, also that they're paroling them in in Monterrey Mexico and this flying them right directly into the uh, into American airports and handing them off. This is all being done uh, by a joint shared data portal called CBP1, which I was able to see. Uh, people come in, they apply for this. Nonprofits and lawyers, American lawyers, help them assemble the documents that they need uh, to qualify for this. And then, you know, on their last day, the Mexican government hands them off, takes them right over the port of entry and hands them off. And next thing you know, they're on buses heading out across the U.S. Now, now I would imagine that the uh, I would imagine that the Mexican government wants to help in this in this uh, project because they don't want them in their in their backyard. I mean, they don't want them 
congregating on the border, correct? Correct. Uh, yeah, of course. Anytime they can move the hot potato from, from their own country to, to the uh, U.S. territory, they, they do and will. Uh, now, you know, mind you, humanitarian parole is being handed out like this to illegal crossers by the you know, hundreds of thousands, even over a million uh, probably a million and a half they've done this. But those accrue in statistics that are politically problematic. Correct. You know, these not 200,000, if you move them through this way, they disappear. And you can't see them by Fox News drone either because it's all happening behind Mexican and American federal walls with ceilings. You know, you just can't even see this. Or they're flying them into you know, Lincoln, Nebraska or something. Uh, nobody sees what's going on or knows what's going on. And and that explains why the Biden administration has been doing this for six or eight months, but nobody knows about it. It's never now, been reported. Are, are these people vetted as far as their criminal backgrounds? I mean, uh, as far as, uh, I mean, obviously, just because you declare asylum, you're getting in. However, who are these people? I mean, do we know? Are, are, are there? Is there any kind of vetting going on on the, for these folks? Well, they have to pass a background check, so they, that's one of the requirements that they have to, you know, have no criminal history. Uh, you know, that's that's easy to check in the United States if they were a deportee or something. But you know, in Venezuela, how are you going to check that with Venezuela or you know some of these other kind of pre-modern countries that don't really have good databases or, you know, won't really check for us. You know, how do we know somebody actually spent time in prison in Nicaragua, you know, or Honduras or Cuba or something? They're not, they're not able to, to check those things. So of course they'll get an all clear on the backgrounds for those people and, and assume, well, there's no, criminal history here (laughs) oh my gosh okay so the bottom line to this is that people are now getting in and uh and being okayed across the border and technically they would not be i mean the the biden administration can snicker and say well they're not really illegal aliens because we've okayed them that's right they're pre-approved for handoff, for an escorted handoff at the ports of entry, we've, as far as I know, have never seen anything quite like that. That's that's something really new and different. And the Biden administration openly talks has they've been telling us that they're going to do this. They call it safe, uh, orderly, and humane mass migration, or you know, migration at the border, and specifically. They call. They have promised legal pathways over that border with work authorization. Uh, so, I mean, it's understandable that if you're one of the migrants coming through and you, you would get pushed back under 42 or pushed back under some other thing, that you could just circle back around and enter this line wow. and get in with work, work authorization and you don't have to pay smugglers. Wow. You don't have to pay two or three thousand dollars to get over. And so, what I found in Mexicali was that they were expanding the physical facilities three times the size of the government facility that I was in. They were they were building it out in a huge way, and the shelters, the nonprofit shelters in these places, were couldn't keep up with the demand. So, word is spreading all over the world. That, that there, there's this new great way to yep. to just legally be entered into the country with work authorization, and 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 uh, and and once a new administration takes over, it's going to be very very difficult to round these people back up again, or to even say that they are illegal aliens because the I'm, I'm sure that the media and the uh, and, and the liberals are going to scream high uh, yeah. bloody murder that they are legally in the United States. Yeah, these people are here permanently for the most part. I mean, good luck. Most of them have a lot of them have kids. A lot of them are just single, you know, Mexican laborers, men, you know. Yeah. They, they might be able to be rounded up in a year or two. 
or three, but you know, good luck uh, pulling kids out of school to go with their their uh, you know poor illegally working mother, uh, you know, in front of the TV cameras. Uh, they usually don't prioritize those. So those people are mostly all going to be here pretty much forever. You got it. My friend, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us and tell us about this. Tell the folks where they can follow you and read and read more uh, articles from you. Yeah, you can follow me at Benzman Todd on Twitter and also T. Benzman at Getter. Uh, I did just open a new account on uh, Donald Trump's social media, Truth. <clears throat> and uh, Todd, CIS.org is where you'll find this piece. <clears throat> CIS.org. Gotcha. And the video, too. There's a video, too. Excellent. So, folks, we've, we're talking with our good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, as usual, thank you very, very much for bringing us up to date on what is happening uh, in the border crisis. Thank you for having me. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Folks, once again, thank you for joining us today on this beautiful Thanksgiving weekend. We have so much to be thankful for, my friends. I hope that all of you are enjoying your uh, your, in ho your holiday this, week, uh, this weekend, uh, that you've enjoyed it with friends, family, loved ones. Uh, it, it is, we still, my friends, even though we see our country uh, in the hands of a lot of people that don't like it, we still have so much to, to, to be thankful for. We have our, our, our lives. We still live in the greatest country on earth. And uh, my friends, I hope that uh, you will be uh, giving thanks to the Lord for everything that we've got. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Thank you for being with us, my friends. Uh, tell your tell your uh, friends and neighbors to join us next time. We've got uh, great guests coming up. Till then, stay strong, stay patriotic, and God bless America. Yeah.